welcome to another episode of Shop Talk. Hello, Jonathan. Ciao, amigo. Wow, you, you went bilingual there, didn't you? <laughs> I did. No, that was one. Is amigo Italian Ch- as well? Amico. Amico. I'm sorry. Amico. Come on, people. There you go. Stay Italian with me. Italiano. I got gotcha. you. Okay. I got gotcha. you. And if, when he said that, I know you guys can't see that, but he actually did the hand motion, too. I, I did. think it's just... It's yeah. one of those things when you speak Italian, I, I well, believe you, you just have to you do just, the hand. You know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. one of those things. Yeah. We talk about the pizza pie. <laughs> um, well, as you can hear, uh, Jordan's back with us this week, so he he uh, decided to trek back out from uh, to make the trek out here to Wild Omar and join us again in the studio. Had a really good time last week uh, learning a little bit of his history and um I think Jonathan's plan this week is to uh, dive deeper into uh, suspension. That's sort of the teaser from last week, the who, what, why, where, how. That's right. That's right. Suspension. We, we, uh, we're returning back to um, bicycles um, and uh, uh, suspension, mountain bikes, all things suspension. Uh, Jordan is the guy for it. And so we're going to pick his brain and uh, learn about suspension today. But as with the disclaimer, right, Jeff, that we don't claim to be experts. <laughs> just play one on TV. We just, yeah. <laughs> we just play one behind microphones. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, I would, I would probably argue with that statement on this particular subject, particularly on, or at least, majority of the aspects of this subject uh, when it comes to the tuning, the repairing, the workings, the understanding of suspension. Uh, you would be at the top of the list of calling an expert for sure just because of what I've experienced in the three years that I've been there and especially the last two years. I know I may be getting ahead, but of, of how the suspension service department or how the, our suspension service has like actually come to be or grown. Yeah. And uh, just d- dude, when other people from other states are calling to ask for your advice, there's something to be said about that. Yeah. When – other people from other bike shops are calling to ask you about your advice. There's something to be said about that. So you can act. Jonathan, I, I probably think it's just in relation to, to, and maybe this is just how there's always going to be someone out there smarter. And the guys that I learn and look up to their knowledge base is just so much more extensive. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. But Which is, I guess is how I would compare. Well, I'm speaking for Jonathan, but my knowledge base would be like compared to yours is you know head and shoulders like I can't even see this is not in the same stratosphere so that's how I mean so we I all would have our strengths but so yeah. I mean again you know thank you for being humble um and surely yes we're just we're having fun here um and you know if but uh, yes we're not experts. if you want expert <laughs> advice come to the bike shop give me money yeah <laughs> and I will give you expert advice but as far as this uh, podcast episode is. Uh, we're going to uh, share what we think we know and our opinions and things like that. So no need to be afraid. Can, can I just ask a, a quick question? This one that I asked you when we talked about mountain bikes and the technology. And now that we're talking about suspension in general, and I know just in the three years that I've been there and the two years that we've been having the suspension service, how things have changed and worked. So, Jordan, I have a question. Do you feel um, – with, with the races and things that are going on and how things are going, do you think it's drivers, I mean, riders that drive 
technology or is it technology that pushed drive uh, riders or is it combination of of both? I mean, what's I mean, you got to be able to you got to have confidence in the gear to go hucking down some of the hills they go hucking down. Were they doing it before the advent of some of this high sophisticated disc brakes and suspension or is it just now they know what they can do because of the equipment or is it a little of both? I just wanted to know your yeah. opinion. You know, um, I would say it's a little bit of, of both. Um, but a- as, you know, the sport of mountain biking has progressed, right? Technology allows that progression. Mm-hmm. But it also, uh, technology requires that that progression's there so that the technology can advance too, right? So um, hopefully that kind of made sense. But No, it does. Yeah, like... You know, we need riders out there that are pushing the limits because when you're pushing the limits, A, you find the limit, and then what technology do we need to get past that limit? Right. Yeah. Well, that's sort of the conclusion that we came up with before when we talked about it. I just wanted to know your take because yeah. I know that, A, you've raced, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're really in into the suspension and, uh, and the workings of suspension. So I was just, you know, wanted your take on it, so... Sorry about that, Jonathan, to, to interject. Yeah, are, in you are you done? Are you done? Really? <laughs> Do you want me to elaborate more? <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's the only question I had. That's your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so uh, we're going to be exploring the, found the, 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 the foundations of suspension here. Um, so, I mean, really, let's just get to it. And your question was not dumb at all, Jeff. I didn't. I, that's no. not oh, what I was. Is that what I mean? <laughs> I don't think he was um, really asking if it was a dumb that question. Was, just, I didn't mean uh, I was apologizing well, for stepping um, on your toes. No, <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, thanks for such, thanks for the enthusiasm and the encouragement there. And here I'm gonna we go. Put, I'm gonna put these other ones away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first and foremost, what is suspension? Why is, does it even exist? I mean, let's let's be basic about this here. So, um, you know, back, what what was this? Suspension probably started really coming about, at least in mountain bikes. I mean, suspension's been around in lots of different things prior to it ever being involved with mountain bike. Uh, cars, right? Cars, motorcycles. Well, Fred Flintstone came out with suspension. Mm. Did he? I don't know. I don't think I so. I just pulled that one out of my butt. That, that, that what yeah, happened that was to your mic? Wheels. Just concrete just, I don't know. It, it, when I, there we go. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, thank you. Um, so, um, suspension. Um, what does suspension do for us on a bicycle? Um, I think uh, for, for different people, could have different answers to that. Uh, some people would say that suspension makes it easier for them to ride rougher terrain. Um, so there's a comfort aspect of it. Um, if you ask that question to more of a racer or something, um, they might answer with, uh, it gives me more control and allows me to go faster over rougher terrain. Um, basically, overall, what suspension does um, is it's uh, going to keep your wheels attached to the ground, which when your wheels are attached to the ground, you have traction, right? But yeah. Jordan, I thought suspension would get me, let me catch big air. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the, there's the comfort side of things. So when you catch big air and you come down for a landing, 
it's there to not beat you up as much. To right? absorb to absorb the impact. Yeah. So it's basically an extension of your elbows and knees, if you think about it. And when we start talking about writing and, um, you know, bike handling skills and, and stuff like that, um, flexing your elbows, flexing your knees, um, bringing the bike up towards you and releasing the bike down away from you, um, you've got a lot of suspension just in your joints. And the bicycle suspension should be an extension of your joints in a lot of ways. Um, you should not be relying solely on your suspension as a bicycle rider. Right. You know, obviously, if you're driving a car, y- you have no other choice, right? I mean, you have to allow the suspension Wait, to I work. Wait, I flex my knees and my elbows <laughs> in the car. I'm not supposed to? Well, well that, that one time we went riding at Joshua Tree, yeah, there was a... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boy! <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, so... Uh, where we were, where we were getting at with this? No, keeping but wheels, no, no, keeping wheels on the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. So why is suspension existing on mountain bikes? Why do you need it? Yeah, right, right. Um, right. So yeah, basically, um, when you're riding off road, you know, and it's funny. So I have a great story regarding this. Um, I've been on suspension bikes um, for, uh, geez, really since I s- kind of started in the bicycle industry. Because part of it was the fact that when I first saw a mountain bike, I was intrigued by the fact that it was squishy. It moved up and down, you know, it it could take up, you know, um, the vibrations of, you know, terrain. Um, So uh, naturally, um, when I started riding, um, I realized that, wow, with the suspension moving out of the way, you know, I'm able to go faster over stuff. I'm able to you know, maybe hit rocks that I couldn't hit before. And and the story behind this is that since I grew up on suspension, I really didn't know what a non, uh, what they would call a fully rigid bike. And rigid, I'm meaning there is no suspension to it. So think of your old school, um, your old school mountain bikes that had no shocks on it. Most people know what a shock is, right? So we'll just, it had no shocks. Um, Fully rigid is what we would call that bike. So, um, about four years ago, we decided it would be a great idea to build up these old school, we call them clunker bikes, um, and uh, no suspension at all. And we took them on our Thursday night mountain bike ride um, that we were doing. And I was riding the same lines. So, the you know, when you're riding a trail, you're looking at where you're going. I was riding the same path of that trail that I would on my suspension bike. And I was... Uh, hitting rocks that were stopping me dead in the trail and almost making me fly over the handlebars because those wheels weren't getting over the obstacles, right? Right. You didn't realize how much suspension was actually doing to help the bike over those obstacles. Um, So I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy. I can't even imagine that, you know, how riders were doing it back in the day. But guess what? Riders were doing it back in the day because (laughs) what were they using? their joints their their elbows and their knees and they were absorbing stuff and when you're on suspension you will start to lose some of those characteristics and of riding because you're making the suspension do the work right right um so uh now with the evolution of that uh you know as time has gone on you know the first the first um so uh when we talk about mountain bikes and we talk about suspension, there are suspension forks, 
which is the front of the bicycle that the front wheel attaches to. Okay, so that's the suspension fork. Um, and then on a full suspension bike, so a fully suspended bike has a suspension fork in front, um, which the wheel attaches to and goes up and down. And then on a uh, full suspension bike, you have a rear shock. So the rear shock is uh, what uh, the rear wheel will now absorb uh, vibration. So it's just like on a car, you have shocks on all four wheels. Right. On a motorcycle, you have shocks on the front wheel and the rear wheel. So same thing on a mountain bike, you have shocks on the front wheel and the rear wheel. Okay. Um, so uh, when okay when when you s- on these full suspension bikes, you you see springs. Right. Slash coils, right. right, on the rear shocks. And, heck, sometimes there's even coils inside the forks, right? And you right. don't know this until you tear them apart. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And then there's uh, air systems, right, pneumatic systems uh, in the rear shock and, and in the fork. Right. Okay. Please educate me. Okay. Why? So – um, in the most kind of more basic terms in suspension, whether it be a suspension fork or a suspension rear shock, um, there are usually two components to those units. Okay, You have your spring component, which you talked about can be on the outside or on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your damping component. Um, so let's start with the spring component first. So your spring component um, can be on the outside, it can be on the inside. All it is is literally that. It's a spring. It's what holds you up. It's what supports your weight, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and that can be a steel coil sprung or coil spring. Um, or it can be an air system, like you said, pneumatic. Um, they're both springs. So one is using literally a, a wound steel spring to support you, Um the other one is using air to support you inside of a chamber, and that's what keeps you up. So you fill a, you know, you f- you fill the chamber with air, and that keeps you up. On some of the the earlier forks, there wasn't even coil wound springs or air; it was elastomers, and elastomers are, you know, basically rubber type yeah, gasket yeah, yeah. type type things, and those were your springs. The downside of those is they didn't age very well. <laughs> so every once in a while, you'll see an elastomer fork come into the shop, and it's completely in its lowest position. Right. So imagine, yeah, just full squat. Um, just completely de- compressed. Comple- completely compressed. And it's because the elastomers just rotted away. Yeah. Um, so um, when we talk about technology and progression, um, there, there's one of them. You, you yeah. find out that, well, stuff doesn't – Always things that don't last very long, you know, and all that kind of stuff become a problem for the consumer. So how do we remedy that and fix that and come up with new technology so that we don't have those issues? Um, yeah, they, the elastomers were products of the early 90s. And then uh, the air systems or coils and oil systems, things, oh, my God, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I just brought up oil. I'm sorry. No, nope, so that's fine. Cause I'll we're let you have fun with oil. Yeah. So, and, you know, this is going to get somewhat technical, but I think it's sometimes fun to, to have some, some technical talks. Here. Yeah, um, to get it in there. Um, so uh, we, we talked about 
you have your spring. Your spring is what supports you, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and that can be air. It can be coil. It can be elastomer. Um, anything you know that that can support you up. Then there's a damping component. So, um, you know, the damping component that is what controls your uh, motion through the suspension, um, which we call travel. So when you uh, have suspension um, and you push into it um, and you compress it, you are compressing the travel or the the the, the, the spring, motion, right? the, the spring, yeah. yeah, and the fork is traveling to a compressed state. So, um, you know, a lot of people know cars. So if you go up to a car and you push down on it, what does it do? It, it goes it down goes and down, then it bounces right? back it comes up. Back up. Yeah. Um, if you were to lift up on that car, you know, it comes up, right? We yeah. still stay on the ground. You're, you're taking up that, we call that up travel. Okay. So by pulling a vehicle up and the wheels stay on the ground and you're pulling the, the suspension apart, that's up travel. Okay. So, um, Travel is going to be something that's going to become important as we, we, we talk about further. So, um, but uh, we talked about springs and the damper. The damper is what controls your motion through that, uh, through, the, through the travel range, okay? Um, and that's where oil comes into play. So um, if you've ever had a car that needed shocks and you, when you hit a bump, it continues to bounce up and down, up and down, right? Yeah. Um, that's because um, either A, the suspension lost all the oil out of it, right? So there's nothing controlling your spring at this point. Um, so it's just moving up and down. So um, oil um, controls the damping of the fork, the input, the frequency inputs that come into your bike and your suspension. Um, otherwise, if you just had a spring, it'd be like a pogo stick. We've all... Bounce on, on a pogo, pogo stick, stick, right? Yeah, whatever you the Jonathan, force you, you put you down. Never have? Well, I mean, what's wrong with a pogo stick on a full <laughs> suspension bike? Well, we'll, we'll find we're getting out. there. We'll, we'll get there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here so, to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you you know you, if if you if you took out the damping component away from uh, suspension, you're left with literally a pogo stick. Right. So you compress it. And that same amount of force you put into it is going to spring back at you, okay? Uh, and it can be pretty violent if there is absolutely no damping, right? So your damper is uh, going to control how fast you move downward into the travel of the suspension and how fast um, that suspension comes back to its reset point, so springs back at you. Yeah. So think about it in basketball terms, right? When you shoot a hoop, what do they call it when the, the ball comes back to somebody? Rebound, right? Rebound, yeah. So the suspension, when you compress it, how fast it comes back to its original uh, state. Um, we, we call that rebound damping, okay? Uh, compression damping is, uh, you know, when you push down into the fork, whether it be landing on a jump or hitting terrain that's causing the fork to compress or the suspension to compress, um, what controls that downward motion of the fork or the shock is compression damping. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you have, so to, to go back and kind of cover, okay, we have our spring that holds us up, okay, holds our body weight up. And then we have our damper, which controls our motion through the suspension, okay, controls the suspension so it's not a pogo stick. And then your damper gets separated into compression damping and rebound damping which controls those two different forces. Like how fast something will go down and how fast it'll come back, right? Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because springs only <coughs> so springs and this is again um you know when when we start to break down coil springs you know or or just spring technology in general you have uh linear rate springs which as you you know go through the travel uh the 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 spring doesn't ramp up it doesn't get more progressive it's literally the same rate all the way through the travel through through the whole stroke so we call that a linear linear rate spring um is that good or bad um, it, it can be good, um, depending on what uh, your uh, what you're trying to get, how you're trying to get your suspension to feel. So in the day, um, a lot of downhill bikes and suspension bikes use a lot of linear rate springs because um, through the rough terrain, um, it was very supple um, through all ranges of your travel. Mm-hmm. So. Um, when you're talking about a lot of choppy stuff, a lot of rough stuff, um, when you're sitting in that mid-stroke of the travel, the last thing you want to do is uh, for your suspension to get rough and for you to start losing traction because um, y- it, it, it's too stiff. It's, uh, you know, as, as I'm going to segue here into the other type of spring rate, which is called a progressive spring rate, okay? So progressive systems... Um, came about a lot more with air technology as air technology came into the mountain bike realm. So think of it as you're compressing a volume of air, it gets harder and harder to compress it, right? Right. Um, So air springs became really popular because you were able to get a nice feeling off off the top of your entry levels, uh, off the the beginning stroke of your suspension. So Uh the beginning travel of your suspension was really nice and soft. And it ate up a lot of those small little rock hits and stuff like that. So it was very smooth. Um, but when you hit big stuff, it would ramp up a little bit more. Um, and you could kind of tune that spring rate how you how you wanted it to feel for your weight, uh, for your rider weight. Um, so you were relying, you were, you, it, was an, it was just another tunable thing um, right. in suspension to, to help uh, you get the most out of your equipment. Um, and suspension needs are different for every rider. Right. So as we're talking about this, like, why do you even need to adjust any of this stuff or do any of this stuff? Because, you know, for your recreational rider, um, as much as for a, a racer, it can make or break your ride. So having proper suspension setup is key. Um, now, when we are talking about your racers and your more aggressive athletes, um, suspension uh, is what's going to allow you to go faster over nastier terrain. Um, suspend, you know, when you talk about World Cup riders, um, suspension setup is key. If your suspension is on point, there, you know, a, l- a lot of people don't realize it just how, how uh, much suspension in the game for, and how, how, how do these riders go so fast over this terrain? A lot of it is skill, and a lot of it is bike setup, and right. the technology that allows them to do that. Um, so having proper setup and knowing what all this stuff does is, is key when you want to take your riding game to the next level um, and an understanding of how it kind of works will help you do that okay so you said something key i feel was uh it's important to have proper suspension setup right but yet it's personal or or, or different based on each rider sure so then how do you define proper um so a, it's kind of an interview process, right? So if, if I'm working on suspension or I'm selling a new bike, 
um, generally there are guidelines, right? So for a, a certain, and this is where some of the manufacturers have kind of figured this out, there's a certain range of where your setup should be. And you, you can kind of play with that range depending on um, are you more of an aggressive rider or are you more of a recreational rider, okay? So typically speaking, a more recreational rider is looking at suspension as somewhat of a comfort, right? So when you're riding off-road, you don't want to get beat up by the train. You want a nice, smooth ride. They're not looking at, um, you know, how do I improve my time on this trail? You know, how do I get the KOM, you know, on mm. this trail? They're looking purely for the enjoyment and the ride, you know, factor of it. Now, that versus uh, someone who is trying to get their KOM, their best time, um, comfort becomes secondary. Traction becomes first. The faster you go, um, you know, the harder you're hitting stuff, the more you're going to have to neglect comfort to a certain level. Yeah. Um, or forego comfort um, to a certain level because you now need the suspension to um, handle what you're throwing at it. Um, so, for instance, if um, if any uh, any one of us were to get on a professional um, athlete's bike, say Aaron Gwynn, who's you know one of America's uh, is America's uh, you know top downhill World Cup racer. If we were to ride one of his bikes at the speed that we would typically ride it uh, down a downhill track, we'd probably think it handles like terrible because um, it'd be really stiff. Mm -hmm. Same thing if uh, for those who ride motorcycles um, or have been around the motorcycle game, supercross bikes. So if you've ever watched Saturday Night Supercross, um, you know, um, that kind of short, short track motorcycle racing in a stadium, um, you see them hitting these these big things and going really fast over these whoops and you know rough terrain. Their motorcycle suspension is set up really really stiff. Um, so from an enjoyment, if we were going to get on one of those bikes and ride, you know, just at our riding style, we would think it handles terribly. It'd be too stiff. Just too yeah rough. Because the level they're riding at, and this goes for mountain bikers, if you want to ride at that level, you're going to have to forego the comfort thing. And you're gonna have to go after um, control and track traction and control are the are the big words. Um, it's no longer about you know oh my hands kind of hurt. Well, your hands are probably gonna hurt when you're riding at, at those level. That's where strength conditioning and training and all that stuff comes into play to get used to those inputs from the bike. But in order for your bike to properly go through rough terrain at a high rate of speed. Um, yeah, your your the setup's going to be drastically different from your your casual rider. Right, wants it to be comfortable. I mean, when I first started getting into the mountain biking and getting a mountain bike, it was all about, oh, hey, I'm old, my back hurts. That's the reason you looked at a full suspension bike. And it wasn't until I you know learned about suspension and went to some trainings and that you realized it its job is to keep the wheels on the ground because. That's only, you know, it's the only way you're going to go around the corner fast if your wheels are on the ground. Only way you're going to be able to go through a rock garden fast is if your wheels are on the ground. And that's ultimately, like you said, traction and control, the purpose of suspension. So, so we, we call that tracking, by the way. So how is your bike tracking through the terrain? Right. Um, and when your suspension is set up improperly for your riding style, 
your bike will not be properly tracking through the terrain. So there's another. I term. just wanted my bike to be comfortable for my butt, <laughs> <laughs> and you still do. So, so um, now you, you mentioned you mentioned rebound damping and spring rate and all that stuff, but there's a there's another term, and I, I may be getting ahead or at not at the right spot, but sag. Yeah, so that that's actually I was that's cool you brought that up because I was gonna segue into, okay, so what are kind of the things you're looking at when you're setting up sag? Excuse me, sag is a big one, um, and uh, basically that sag is how far you sit into the travel of the bicycle. Okay. Okay. So um, again, I'm gonna relate this to cars because a lot of people can visualize cars more so than they can a, a bike. Um, if you've ever had seen a uh, watch your car go up on a lift at a dealer car dealership or, or something like that, you notice the lift will contact the frame of the car and start lifting the car, but the wheels are still on the ground. Yeah. And then eventually the wheels come off the ground. Okay. We, we talked a little bit about up travel, right? Right. So um, when you put the car on its own weight, on its own weight, it's setting into the travel a certain amount. When you sit on a motorcycle and you sit on it and it kind of squats down, um, it's setting into it, you're sitting into the travel. So we call that sag. So um, with you, with your riding gear, sitting on the bicycle, um, all your weight on the bike, how far do you sit into the travel and that sag? Now, um, you don't want to sit too far into it, and you want to make sure that you are sitting far enough into it. Right. right. Um, so there's kind of a pocket there you want to sit in. And basically, when you sit in that pocket, that allows suspension to work correctly because it gives you um, up travel so that the wheel could fall into a hole, right, um, and extend into that hole. And then it also gives you room for when you hit a rock and it allows the suspension to compress. To compress and right? go up. Yeah. Um, so if you sit too far into sag, then you're going to have a really harsh ride because guess what? That wheel has no upward, you know, no, no compression, nowhere to go. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then if there's no sag, then you're going to get a really harsh ride because your wheels already fully extended. Your suspension's fully maxed. So it's not going to drop into holes. It's not going to, you know, do that stuff. So you end up, you know, with a terrible ride that way. So, um, sag is the first step that you use to set up, your suspension on a, a mountain bike and that and when you're setting up sag you're only you're only playing with um the spring so if it's a coil spring you're changing out a coil spring for different weights they have different weights of coil springs mm -hmm. if it's an air spring um then you are uh setting up you're adjusting the air pressure to account for the rider's weight and that's the that's the awesome thing about suspension or air mountain bike suspension because from the setup standpoint and from the consumer setup standpoint it's a lot simpler than having to swap out coil springs yeah and look at that number kits. 127 or 256 or whatever it is right. that's written on the spring right yeah right okay are you with us jonathan i uh, you know you're uh, here i'm i'm here yeah yeah no no it, it's it's good so this is um so What's the deal with maintenance on this stuff? Like, well, hold on. Let me uh, let me give some context here. Um, uh, there's been 
So a history of oh, I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. Try we, this. we were kind of we were talking about setup. Right, and we yeah. talked about sag, and we talked about spring spring rates, okay, and the spring. But there, there's also remember there's two sides. What what do we talk about? There's two sides. So there's there are two parts, right? Compression damping and rebound damping. Right. Yeah. So oh, um, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So well, I just you know with people listening, um, they're gonna be like, well, what about this? red knob that says rebound and these blue knobs that say The one with the turtle and the rabbit on I, it. <laughs> I don't need to tell. And, and you know what? Some of the more basic forks don't even have that stuff. But yeah. um, when you start getting into full suspension bikes and everything, you're going to, you know, you're not only going to have to set up your sag, um, but you're going to have to set up your damping too. Um, and there's compression damping and rebound damping like we talked about. Um for most of the recreational riders, this is what's awesome about Fox and RockShox and Wild Companies. They've simplified this a great deal. So with compression damping, a lot of the dampers on the market literally have like three positions. You know, uh, an open position, which allows there's basically no resistance in you compressing your fork, mm -hmm. you know, except for what's built into the, the, the suspension damper itself. Um, and then there's like a medium and a firm mode. So it makes it really easy. People are like, okay, I want it a little bit firmer. I just flip that switch to the firm position, right? Yeah. Um, so you have that on your compression. Then rebound. Rebound typically isn't a three-position thing. It's a multi-click kind of adjustment. So when you're setting up rebound as a, as a, for your, your suspension, you know, if, if there's no rebound damping at all on the fork, it's going to be a pogo stick. It comes back super, super fast. Super fast. So if you imagine you hitting a jump, landing, compressing the suspension, and then having it launch you. Spring you back spring up. Spring you straight up over the handlebars, right? That'd yeah. That would be no good. So, um, and then too slow, basically you compress the fork, and it never gets a chance to reset itself, right? So that by you're the You're constantly driving it shorter and shorter and shorter. Shorter until yeah. you're, you're what they call packing up. Yeah. So um, the fork never gets a chance to reset because the rebound is too slow. And you get a really harsh ride that way. So there's a pocket that you want to set in for rebound. And and this is why you want to set your sag first, because depending on how much air pressure you have or what coil spring you're running will affect the damper and the adjustment. So just because you run 12 clicks in on your rebound for 150 PSI, right, in your fork, right, doesn't mean that the person that's doing 200 PSI in their fork um, is also running 12 clicks in. So setting the sag setting the spring prior to getting into the damping's key so there's there's two parts right we need right. to set set the spring rate and then set the damping so those are those are kind of the two things that i wanted to talk about so now that we finished that what was your question jonathan <laughs> <laughs> i just want to clean my shocks <laughs> no, so, no so so stay on that some more i mean um well, I just want to go back because I don't know that I've ever heard it explained that way. Um, the the importance of SAG and and you talk because everyone, and 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 even though I've been to some training or whatever, it's like I you always think about it going through rock gardens or chattery stuff, right? You know, the the fork going up or the shot going up. But you brought up a very I think as important point is like hitting a hole for it to push down. You right. know, like. The, yep. the up travel to like the the actual stroke of like 
So sag is gets you in that middle point so that the shot can go up or the fork can go up or down so that your wheel stays on the ground. And when you explain that about hitting a hole that the you know the the fork travels down to to keep the wheel on the ground and going through the hole or going over a bump, I thought that was that was that's like boom ah oh, that's an excellent way to explain it you know and that was I, I don't know I thought that was kind of eye opening and I really thought that was. A really interesting way of at putting least someone it. Someone learned learned something tonight. Yeah, so I know. Good. I look over at Jonathan. I know everything. Are kind <laughs> of lossy, oh no, I was just I was letting you educate, you know, Jeff on the things. Well, no, you know, it, it's but I I wanted to touch on the damping <laughs> setup because all too often do I see bikes that come in and they're complaining about too too harsh of a ride and they're they're always thinking it has to do with too much air pressure or their springs too stiff. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, you know, it's something as simple as they have too much rebound damping mm-hmm. on their fork, so it, it's moving too slow, and they're trying to go fast. And this is, this is also where, okay, so you set your fork up, you have an ideal setup for your damping and your according to your, your spring rate, but then you talk about the rider who's going faster. So now riding style changes everything now, mm-hmm. right? So the faster you go over terrain, your settings completely change. Yeah, so the, whatever setting, the, yeah, whatever it's settings react faster, right? right? Yeah. So whatever. So as a new rider, if you're a new rider, um, getting into this, you know, high tech mountain bike world and suspension, all that kind of stuff, um, the settings that you start with as a rider when you're learning are not going to be the settings that you end with, because as you learn and you progress, you're going to be riding faster and going faster and hitting bigger stuff. So those same settings that you started out with in the beginning aren't going to work for you later down the road. So as you progress with your writing, your setup is also going to change. Now, speaking of setup and numbers, and it's like when we when we set somebody on SAG, we give them their numbers. And those numbers, I feel, are important to keep because it's your starting point, right? So you know, like if something's not working, at least you know what numbers it was at and why now you can sort of adjust from there. So, we, yeah, we'd call that a base tune. Yeah. Um, so that's our starting point, right? Um, and yeah, you'll use that as a as a reference of where you started, and then you know you'll kind of go from there. So, and again, it, it's just a starting point, which right. people need to to, to understand. Because as as you as you ride Santa Rosa Plateau, that might work, but as you go to Greer or something more technical, or up the summit, or up to Santa's Village, then it's gonna it's gonna change a little bit too, right? Yeah, Depending it, on what it you're can doing, totally change uh, a little bit on terrain. Um, you know. Um, most riders, generally, once they have their their kind of setup, they can do most most terrains. There, there's not going to be. I think your your percentage of riders um, that really can tell the difference a lot of times in these small changes um, are a, a small group, you know. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, so I mean, r- thank you for saying that because I'm not part of that small group. Right. Yeah, not not yeah. a lot of people. It, it's not an easy mm-hmm. thing to right. recognize because there's so many things going on when you're riding a mountain bike, right? Right. You got terrain you're looking at. So, well, some yeah, I don't know whether to. Bl- I mean, at this point, you know, d- d- am I blaming just my bike handling skills? Yes. Am I blaming? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just gonna go home now. <laughs> am I? So, am I blaming my bike handling skills? Am I blaming the 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 piece of dirt uh, sand that I missed? Am I blaming the suspension on my bike? I mean, what are all those pieces for me to be able to say, oh, you know what? My suspension's off. I'm blaming the bike. So um, 
with when you really start diving into suspension setup and you know it depends on whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it so um realistically what you'd want to do is you'd want to set your suspension up on terrain that you're familiar with that you're familiar riding so that you can eliminate that factor of like was it that odd thing that i didn't see or i was learning the trail so you take a section of trail that's easily repeatable and um, that you're familiar with and you repeat that segment of trail over and over again trying different settings and different things because now you're able to tune in on what is my bike doing Mm -hmm. and not so much focusing on the trail so uh, that's a key thing because if you're trying to let's say you just bought a brand new bike you're going up to snow summit for the first time you're riding the chairlifts up there there's so many things going on right now you're learning how to ride the bike it's a new bike you're the suspension you know there's too much you're trying to learn the trail you're trying to read the trail um it's going to be really difficult for you to um see like oh yeah my bike felt like it was really springy well how do you even know that you know that wasn't how your bike should be should be feeling um so by going to something you're familiar with and as a completely new rider this is where you're going to have to kind of trust us in your base setup you yeah. know for riding and then as you become more familiar with terrain and bikes then you know you can start exploring different settings and stuff like that but ultimately in answer to your question you'd want to find a familiar uh, piece of trail that's easily repeatable that you could see what your suspension does and mm-hmm. for some people that don't know what all these clickers and adjustments do when you're on that that comfortable trail that you're used to riding you know, explore different settings, you know, open everything up on, on your fork, give it no damping, make it like a pogo stick, see what that feels like, shut everything down. So make it like it's, you know, uh, s- way too much rebound. So it, it's, you know, retra- or, uh, resetting really slow. So you, you can see the two op- opposite wow. ends of the, of the spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have an idea y- you have, you have, s- you have beginning and end points. Yeah. So you know what those adjustments do and, do you want your suspension to feel more like when it was open or when it was closed off? You know what I mean? So you'd be able to get those reference points. Make sense? I agree. No, I think it, it no, it totally makes sense. And it's a whole new world out there. And and I think in the every the everyday that we see, we see people who have various knowledge, you know, the, the whole spectrum of knowledge on on a fork, you know, or some people who've watched something on YouTube. Ergo, they think they have a vast knowledge of how a fork and suspension is supposed to work. And then they look at you like you're not the smart one. You tell them you really don't know. That's You don't need to do it that way. Bring it back and you'll you'll enjoy it more. But uh, I think Jonathan hit it on it a minute ago. We, we've got all of this rebound, damping, compression, sag, and all of that, that to, to think about. That And you know it. Jonathan knows it, it, it. That equipment gets rallied and people just don't think about servicing it. But right. uh, um, if they only you, bring it in when it's broken. Yeah, meaning if, now it's going to cost a lot of money. Well, I mean, the fact is that meaning that it doesn't work. Like, yeah, there is no rebound. There is no compression. Yeah, there is just there's there's slop. Right, it's is it's a stick or it's a dead piece of metal, whatever. And, it, and if you think about the intricacies, the, the the little pieces that are in there, you know, I've seen them taken apart. When the little knobs that you're turning, your red click or blue click, are opening a hole the size of a pinhead, 
You know, so mm-hmm. there, there's there's things in there that can go wrong, and they need to be taken care of. It's just... Yeah, so this is where I'm floored by Jordan's knowledge of the internal workings of the suspension. This is where I start to lose interest uh, about the internal workings of suspension, just because it's... It, you know, you 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 blame me for being de- for being detail oriented, <laughs> but I, I I give up I give that up when once you start talking about the yeah, internals. It's, of it's it. pretty impressive as long as this my shock doesn't work, and we look at it like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Jordan squeezes it or pushes it and mm-hmm. comes up with a diagnosis. Well, what you have here is da da da. Bike so, whisper one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah. So here, uh, you know, Jonathan, you made a good point. Um, this is truly where. Uh, my detail oriented has to come out because when you're working with suspension, um, like Jeff said, you have really tiny, small portholes. You have to have a clean work environment. You can't be allowing stuff to get in there. Um, you know, the, the tiniest piece of lint can cause, can cause issues in suspension. So, um, it, and there, there's too much in there that, you know, if you, um, with ceiling surfaces and, you know, gouges and shafts and different things like that. I mean, if you don't pick up on that stuff, it can cause leaks, it can cause failures, it can cause, you know, all kinds of stuff. So detail orient, you, you have, when working with suspension, you have to be detail oriented. It, it's crucial. Um, but servicing this stuff is key. And um, I always tell people if, if you waited until something broke, you waited too long. Um, so suspension uh, performance degrades kind of slowly um when you purchase your you know your full suspension bike or whatever uh shocks front and back and you're riding it the first day on the trail it feels amazing the second day it feels amazing and it continues to feel amazing um the thing is is it degrades ever so slowly that you don't realize how bad it got until you have it serviced so um almost every single time we we service uh we do a suspension service on a bike uh, they always come back with, wow, this is what my bike felt like when it was new. Right. I had no idea. Um, Probably the number one comment for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it degrades very slowly. And the problem is is, is you want to you wanna be on a – you want to do it during the service intervals because that ensures that you don't wear uh, stuff out on the inside. A lot of these newer forks that are out there on the market, um, there's not very much lubricating oil in these forks. So – um, if you go, you know, even over a year without servicing, um, you could totally, you know, ruin a lot of the internal components of that suspension fork. Now, will the fork continue to operate? Yeah. Is it just going to shut down? More than likely not. But the problem is, is when we, you know, typically when people do wait, they're the type of person that brings their stuff in when it's broken. Right. And when it is broken, there's a lot more damage done to the inside. Um, and sometimes um, even to the point where it's just not fixable. Not, not re- yeah. yeah. So had a couple of those come in just recently mm-hmm. on a shock. Just com- all, the, all the color, all the just completely worn, had a groove worn in it. So, yeah. It's just so the maintenance is, is, is catching that. And, and I know Jonathan preaches to anybody that comes in 100 hours or 200 hours or whatever. So that's that, like you said, maintenance cycle. That you can catch that stuff, and there go, ergo, your fork or sh- fork uh, or shock never really uh, degrades. So you, d- it's always staying fresh and functioning, right? Is that the yeah this 
the and, purpose behind it. Right. And service intervals are also going to change depending, just like our setups change depending on the writing style, right? Right. Um, our service intervals are going to change depending on our writing style. So your weekend warrior, you know, who's going out on the weekends and stuff like that, you know, not, not getting too crazy. The, the person who's after more of the comfort aspect rather than, you know, um, the controllability and tunability, all that kind of stuff and traction. Um, that person, you know, I like to say is like that once a year, once a season kind of service interval, right? Um, because even going by hours, right hours on a fork is, is okay. But at the same time, if a suspension sits in a garage for two years uh, and the, the rubber seals dry out, yeah, then, then it's it junk too. It's junk too, So yeah. the hours are okay. It's, it's one of the things to look at for sure. But, um, yeah, so uh, going back to, you know, your recreational rider once a year, once a season versus your bike park rider who's going up to Snow Summit or Santa's Village and like doing every mountain weekend. runs every yeah. weekend. Yeah. Um, those people at the minimum need to be uh, beginning of the season, end of the season, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the mantra we, we tell the people, too. If you're – if you're a season ticket holder up there, you 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 need to get it done before the lifts open and then the after the lifts close. There's there's too many moving pieces, and you don't realize how much friction and heat you're generating, um, you know, with the suspension moving up and down so rapidly, especially on downhill runs and stuff like that. Um, but but what's what are the implications for these people who fail to hear or heed your advice? Um, What's the real real world consequence here? Yeah, so you get you get excessive wear um, on the, on your internal components. So, so since there is very little lubricating oil inside the forks, okay, mm-hmm. um, when you're not servicing it, guess what? That lubricating oil will disappear. Yeah, and when that disappears, think of it as like um, you used up all your oil in, in your car engine. What happens? It seizes well, you up. have friction, right? Yeah. And friction causes heat. And that, that oil helps to lubricate and keep that heat, you know, down so that things don't wear excessively and, you know, uh, that whole thing. It's the same thing with suspension. So if you lose that lubricating component, now you have, um, you know, uh, your stanchion tubes on your fork, which are your the, the sliders that go inside the fork, right? Um, if those are no longer getting lubricated, um, then you now have, you know, uh, your stanchion tubes on bushings and rubber seals with no lubrication, and that causes friction, that causes excessive heat and wear. And so much p- to the point that if you're not servicing, let's say, on a, on a suspension fork, um, your bushings will start causing grooves into your stanchions. Yeah. And when your stanchion tubes are grooved, the stanchion tubes are what we call a sealing surface. That's why they're shiny and smooth and uh, all that kind of stuff and why it sucks when you damage those or <laughs> nick them with rocks. Yeah. Um, Vinny. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Vinny. Sorry, Shout buddy. out to Vinny. Sorry, Vinny. Dang. Um, <laughs> um, uh, when those get grooved, then now you are opening up a channel for dirt to get into. So now you have no lubrication, you have dirt entering the fork, and you are just completely destroying the inside of your fork. You yeah. basically, instead of a nice, smooth, frictionless 
uh, surface for your for your stanchions to move in and out of. It's rubbing it's on sandpaper. It's now sandpaper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's really bad. So that's why it's important to service your suspension because when you get a fork to that point where your bushings are damaged, your stanchions are damaged, um, it becomes a very costly repair. Okay, so it damages my co- my pocketbook. Yeah, well, but it, does it damage my ride riding style? My riding well, performance. Yeah, your performance for sure will go down. The thing is, is like we talked about, your suspension degrades slowly, mm-hmm. so it might not be an immediate like you might. So depending on how tuned in you are with your equipment, you might notice that my suspension feels rougher lately, but. Mm-hmm. You know, my bike probably needs a tune-up, or who knows, you know. They, or they just don't know. A lot of people just don't know. They know that their bike feels rougher, you know, but they don't know that they need to suspension their service. So, um, yes, it will affect your, your riding style because guess what? When you lose lubrication and uh, the fork isn't moving up and down nice and smoothly, yeah. it becomes rougher, and then that leads to it your wheel not tracking the terrain as well. Your wheel not and on the ground, Jonathan. Um, Got it. <laughs> yeah, lots of issues. Yeah. So just I, I, I'm just fine. I'm just um, I'm hoping um, to find that that magic bullet, you know, per se, uh, about how to you know inform our clients uh, with, hey, if you don't do this, it could be bad, and here's why it's bad. But sometimes still, you so, know. So, um, on that note. Well, hold on. So, 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 uh, let me let me just throw the analogy out. It, it mean, I think it's still a slow enough implication or in a light enough implication, such as saying, "Hey, please don't eat fried foods all the time because it's going to clog up your arteries." Easier said than done. <laughs> right. Right. You know. So. But so sooner or later, you 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 almost need to. I feel like you need to strike fear into them. Like you're gonna get a heart attack. Yeah, but that could be thirty years down the road of mm. eating fried foods. But what I've noticed, though, and and Jordan said it, that a lot of people don't know. But I think you do a good job at educating them. Jordan does a good job at educating people that they don't know. And then I I feel you can see the light kind of come on in them when you're having the conversation about how, why it's important to serve it, you know, are you, are you experiencing this? And then the biggest thing to do is show them. Like, you know, so we... That's what I was going to, I was going to lead into is that, so one thing I've thought about doing and why I keep some of that old worn out stuff around is so that we can show what customers happened. visual aids. Yeah. Visual aids always are, are so much easier. I can talk about bushings and stanchion tubes and CSUs and all but that kind of stuff, but when you can actually show it to the individual and show them the damage that's been done, yeah. um, then that's like, uh, They're all happy with that Kashima-coated fork, but when you can show them, look what happens when you don't service it, and the Kashima coating's missing on four and a half inches on the backside of one of those forks because it wasn't serviced, and it just friction and friction and friction, like you said, it's rubbing sandpaper or emery cloth up and down, you know. And eventually, it's not going to work. They're going to come in, the fork's going to be stuck down, or it's not going to go up, you know. And like you said, then it's then it's uber costly or unrepairable, and now they have to buy something new that could have been avoided with a $150 service or $200 service. Now, 
Now they're spending $600 or $700 on a new new component. I mean, that's that's one way. The, the pocketbook is a, is a teacher for sure. You know, if, if the light doesn't come on with, with the performance and mm-hmm. everyone that, that, you know, in that game, they're looking for performance and how quick they did double Ds or how fast they came down revolution, you know? So, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because pretty much once someone does have their suspension serviced, they're a believer after that. Yeah, how many? Yeah, there's like so it, many times that we they had. realize, like, holy cow, I didn't know that my bike could feel like this new again. Um, and then from then on, it's like, yeah, you don't even have to sell me on this. Yeah, like, they're they're back all the time after that. Once they start feeling a little bit of something not right, yeah. So, hmm. <laughs> Just hmm. I'm <laughs> contemplating. Yeah. No, no, it's good. I mean, uh, w- we needed to hear this, right? Yeah. You know. Um, so there's so much to suspension and I've been trying to just kind of touch the surface, which is really what we're doing because, um, you, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about just how damper systems work and what's involved with that and tunability of that. Like, so it's this, and this is where I was saying in the beginning of the show, you know, being humble in the fact that when you start talking to the engineers and you know some of these guys uh, who work for these suspension companies, and they start explaining really the nitty gritty, the nitty gritty of what that oil is doing through that little jet. N- n- yeah, those, when, you, when you start talking about you know. Uh, the inside of the dampers with your pistons, your shim stacks, you know, yeah, your valving stacks. assemblies, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's where the science of, of some things really starts to get get crazy, right? Right. And that's where your you know custom tunes become available and um, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's pretty wild. Some of these guys who are suspension engineers, um, you know, taking a look at even just even not even talking about shocks or suspension forks, uh-huh. but talking about frames and how the frame works in conjunction with the shock. There's so, it, so um, real quick on a story. So we we built, we had the opportunity to build clunker bikes for a race a few years ago in Mammoth. Uh-huh. And they were basically just what kind of garbage can you assemble kind of thing. So I decided to make a full suspension bike. And it's crazy what, when you move the shock two to three millimeters from one pivot point to the next pivot point, just how much that can change the whole dynamic of a full suspension frame and how how the bike works through the travel. Um, So not only is there tons of engineering and science in the actual shock unit, but, but there's tons of engineering and science in the actual frame and, and how that frame moves through its own travel and works with the shock. It, it's, it's seriously mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at bikes and look at all the different pivot points and rocker arms and all that stuff that's associated with that rear triangle or how that, how that shock is working in the back, it's, it's insane. And he- here's the, the $50 word for that. So when you talk about the frame, it's called the kinematics of the frame. And that's the how the frame works 
with the travel through its motions through um yeah your axle paths and stuff like that so how your axle how your rear axle travels uh through the suspension this is where it really starts how how the brakes all work with all of that yeah how you separate braking forces from suspension forces um and the cool thing is we have two great companies of the shop that have figured a lot of these things out um but just to give you a reference there's so much that goes into um suspension design that like with trek bicycles trek has a whole separate um office dedicated to just their suspension of their mountain bikes based in santa clarita california yeah um that's all they do there is work on suspension design and trek is a massive company with tons of people who are responsible for building their bikes and designing their bikes but to have literally a whole segment devoted to just suspension suspension and how it works with their frames is tells you just how important it is and how in-depth um that technology is so yeah i mean that separate office is not even a a production office it's a research truly r&d yeah just yeah pretty interesting yeah and the fact that it's on the opposite side uh, uh, opposite coast, yeah. You know, I mean, that's how much they believe in it to let it be within. I guess we'll call it the mecca of mountain bike community, right? You know, that that's that's some belief there. Yeah, yeah. So. I, and you know, probably just like Jordan said, just scratching the surface. But I think the the story needs to be told that it's it's an integral part of your writing mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. something else that you know mm-hmm. maintenance mm-hmm. you need to maintain it in order for it to work right you know that's just mm-hmm. i guess that's the 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 thing that we mm-hmm. try to preach to people or, or yeah. let people know how important it is mm-hmm. to to service it so so that you work it right i mean you spend a lot of money on these bikes right, right. you want to go out there and have fun with it now the fun part um is that uh two years ago um you decided to Jordan. You decided to make an investment um, into the suspension service. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So, um, so l- like on our l- uh, last week's episode, um, talking about my passions, um, I got to the point where I had done so many tune-ups and so many things. I wanted to go after something that was um, a challenge for me and something that wasn't typically services that weren't typically offered at, at, at bicycle stores. So um, it took a handful of years with Jax, um, but after putting together a plan, we um, wanted to do a suspension service kind of build out in our service department. Um, there aren't really many bike shops in our area and really in the country that do the level of suspension service that we do. Um, it requires um, a f- a fair bit of knowledge. It requires the proper tools, which is a biggie. Huge. Um, there are a lot of custom tooling tools that are required for a lot of the suspension to do it the right way. Um, and it's a big investment. Um, but, like I said, there's no one really out there. So what really got old was customers coming in and wanted to get, you know, they had an issue with suspension or wanted to get, sometimes it was just simple stuff. And uh, but we didn't have the tooling, and it's like we'll have to send your stuff out to Fox. Well, Fox during the season can be three weeks out, you know, uh, and that that's when they get the shock, you know, 
two <laughs> two to three weeks and then them sending it back to yeah, you, right? So, you so customers, you know, customers would freak out. You know, I, I can't go that long without, do you have a loaner shock for me? Well, we all know that, you know, suspension isn't exactly the most universal thing to just throw <laughs> something else on a bike. So yeah. um, I was like, how cool would it be to be a one-stop shop that we no longer have to send or send greatly, out. greatly minimize sending stuff out? Um, customers are blown away, right? Um, because you take that three-week lead time to, yeah, we'll, we'll get this back to you in one to two days. Um, and we can do it in-house. So um, there was a fair bit of research to figure out what we wanted to bring in, what brands we wanted to service, um, obviously trying to go after the more popular stuff. Um, but just being able to do that in-house in a, a completely separate area than... Uh, where we work on the rest of the bikes because we we don't want to have any contaminants like we talked about it's it's really important to have a clean workspace so the only thing that's done um in our suspension lab or our suspension area um is suspension Mm -hmm. and you guys you know i'm pretty much uh uh that's my pet peeve when i see something else being worked on that's (laughs) dirty or grungy that's getting stuff on there so um, but yeah, it's been, it's been great. We have, uh, you know, so, in, you know, there's a need when you have people sending in suspension from, you know, we service a lot of the kind of West coast. So, um, you know, definitely people I've had stuff sent in from San Fran, you know, up North, um, you, you get know, Arizona people, Arizona, we've had Hawaii. Uh, did we have a Hawaii? One? Yeah. Because the, we talked about the packing. He wrapped it up in oh, the base newspaper. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, one from Hawaii. Um, Quite uh, a few from Washington. A couple too. from Colorado, Washington. Yeah. Um, so, because uh, there are some service centers on the East Coast and some in the Midwest. Yeah. But like I said, it's few and far between. So, generally, there's just kind of some lines that are drawn. And, you know, if you live closer to one, they'll, they'll tend to send it to you or, you know, and vice versa. Not only are we happy with it, but we're recognized by th- three of the biggies, right? As like certified service centers for their suspension, right? Yeah. So not, not every manufacturer has a certified service title that they give out to centers. Um, Cane Creek um, definitely gave us that title. Okay. So we're an authorized service center for them. Um, you know, uh, really, <laughs> I mean, really, most of them don't don't have that kind of authorized service center title to it. Um, so, like, Fox doesn't do really any authorized service centers, technically. Okay. Um, because they want to be the quote-unquote authorized service center. However, they will help you set up a quote-unquote service center so that you can service their product. They're just not going to list you as a... Uh, okay. authorized service center. There's really only one authorized service center in the United States for Fox, and that is Fox. Fox. Yeah. yeah. And then in the UK, it's Fox UK kind of thing, right? So um, same thing with RockShox. They don't, they don't really do authorized service centers. They don't list you on a website or anything like that, but they supply you with you know, tooling and stuff like that um, for you to work on stuff. Uh, Cane Creek was one of the few ones that was look, we're not supplying you with anything unless we're authorizing you to do it. And with Cane Creek, everything is very unique to their shocks, So, which was really frustrating from our standpoint because with bikes that had them, Cane Creek is loca- located in Fletcher, North Carolina. 
So huge amount of shipping time to get to them, <laughs> then working on it, and a huge amount of shipping time to get back to us. So right. super frustrating with that, and um, it was all too awesome to be able to uh, work on their stuff because um, a lot of specialized tooling. Overall, a lot of the technology when you break into it is similar technology you see on a lot of stuff, but it's you know every every everything has its little quirks. But um, yeah, King Creek, Rock Shocks, Fox, DVO suspension um, are kind of our our big ones that we service in house because that's really majority of what's coming on bikes. Right. So there's some guys out there in the country and then even in, in Europe and stuff that will specialize in all kinds of different suspensions, old stuff, new stuff. Um, for me, uh, I didn't find it that it was immediately necessary to, to get everything serviced. Um, a, because I want to make sure if we're servicing something that we can do it properly. We have the tooling to do it the right way. Um, and uh, the investment is worth I could pitch the investment to Jax, you know, with, right. hey, this is, here's the companies that we're seeing a lot of. Let's invest in these companies for right yeah. now. That's pretty cool. Um, and it's paying off. Yeah. I mean, we're paying off. busy shocks yeah. all the time, forks yeah. all the time. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a, uh, a mouthful. Yeah. I, I learned a couple things. Yeah, I, I still think I it's your bike handling tire, for you. Um, the, the great thing is this is recorded. Yeah. So if you don't understand something, you can just kind of hit the hit the re the rewind button and do it again. <laughs> yeah. So well, Jordan, thanks again for trekking out two weeks in a row. It's been highly informative, enlightening, and I hope our listeners take a, a little bit of knowledge out of it because there was a lot of knowledge passed. So thanks, yeah, thanks for coming fun. out. Thanks for having me. Ciao. Uh, yeah, but look, look what you can see it. Yep, I am. That's, that's the weekend. You can see it from here, Jonathan. So, ciao or adios, adios. No, huh. Italians say ciao both ways. Do they? Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't aware. Ciao, baby. Thanks, guys. Appreciate ciao. it. Ciao.